welcome to a new podcast series from Understanding Society, the longitudinal study that captures life in the UK in the 21st century. Each year, Understanding Society questions every member of thousands of the same households across all four countries of the UK. We ask about education, employment, family life, health, income and civic participation. And since April 2020, we've been asking about COVID-19. Every answer to those questions becomes part of an ever-growing complex data set that tells a multitude of real-life stories, unfolding in real time and unlocking the causes and consequences of social change. It's data that provides evidence for debate and, ultimately, change. In each episode of this series, we'll explore how understanding society data has been used in a key area. We'll look at what it told us when analysed and what it's informed as a result. I'm Catherine MacDonald and I'll be your series host. In this episode, we're focusing on employment and a project that used understanding society data to look at the experiences of working class women during COVID-19. Joining me are the lead academics on the project, Professors Tracy Warren from Nottingham University Business School and Claire Lyonette from Warwick Institute for Employment. Also joining us is Dr. Mary Ann Stevenson, Director of the Women's Budget Group, with whom Tracy and Claire collaborated. I began by asking Mary Ann about the aims of the Women's Budget Group. We analyse the impact of economic policy on women and men and different groups of women and men. And we try and promote policies that would lead to greater gender equality. And it was the Women's Budget Group who identified that the majority of workers in the most high risk roles during the pandemic were women. Can you tell us a bit more about that? That was some work that we did right at the beginning of the pandemic with a think tank called Autonomy. Um, So they'd done some work looking at which roles were at greatest risk of contracting COVID. And we were looking with them really at which jobs were people at most risk of catching COVID and were low paid. And then, you know, recognise the fact that most of these jobs were done by women. You're talking about, you know, customer facing roles, roles in health and social care, for example. So Tracy, to bring you in here, you're a sociologist of work and employment with expertise in social inequalities in work. How did you become involved in the project? Um, When the pandemic hit, it really became quickly apparent that there was going to be deep inequalities and whose working lives were going to be most directly impacted. We quickly saw differences in who was able to start to work from home, the conditions of their home working environment, who was still having to go out to work and how they were getting there. So who was having to work and travel in unsafe environments. And of course, some people were having to do this all with increased care and responsibilities and inequalities in how people were coping with their care and responsibilities. And what we wanted to do was track those inequalities and join with um, the Women's Budget Group to identify those policy solutions. And so, Claire, you list your research interests as all aspects of gender and the labour market. So what drew you to this project? We've both done past research on on gender inequalities in employment and how women continue to be sort of constrained in their labour market choices. And obviously that has long term effects on on career and on income. And class also adds to these constraints. So with many working class women, for example, working part time, in comparison with professional managerial women. And they're also doing more housework and childcare than their male partners. So we already knew about many of the issues facing these women before the pandemic even hit. But 
COVID came along and it could either sort of provide an opportunity to shake things up and improve gender and class inequalities. For example, more men were working from home, so that could possibly lead to a, a sort of re-evaluation of gender roles, et cetera, or it could just simply exacerbate them. So it was that that we were really interested in and what sort of drew us into the project. So it sounds like you identified the beginning of the pandemic from a research point of view as a real moment in time. Exactly, yes. And, you know, in terms of what we set out to focus on, bearing in mind our knowledge about these existing inequalities of class and gender, we wanted to look at the potential for change, but also that possible continuity over the course of the pandemic. And this data set really gave us that opportunity to look into that a bit more. We were mainly interested in the impact of the pandemic on working class women, but we're also interested in other women and men during the same period and also how they compared with working class women and what impact the pandemic had on them as well. They could have completely different impacts on, on say, middle class women, middle class men. We were also interested to see, for example, the impact of class on, on finances as a, a sort of clear outcome of inequalities in work and also to really sort of contextualise working class women's experiences. And alongside that, as the project developed, we also wanted to examine how paid work fits in with the rest of life, for example, those sort of work-life balance issues and the overall impact on individual workers. So we started to look at changes in the levels of psychological distress and other indicators like life satisfaction, relationship happiness, etc. So these were all things that we could examine with this data. So this project used Understanding Society data and our COVID-19 survey data. What did those data sets enable you to do? So what we did was we analysed data from the COVID-19 survey, specifically looking at employed women and men. And what that let us do was look at their lives in April 2020, um, when the COVID-19 survey started, and right through to March 2021. And as you know, those participants were also asked about their baseline lives, you know, so before the pandemic hit. So we could see what had changed for them and what had stayed the same after January, February 2020. So we had around 3,500 employed women and around 3,500 employed men in the working age sample in April 2020. And what we could do with that sample size was look at class differences and class similarities among the workers as the pandemic rolled out. What we could also do, of course, was look at working lives in the previous pre-pandemic times by analysing the main understanding society data. For the purposes of this project, how did you define working class? There's so many different ways to define class. It's, I mean, that's a real key academic topic, which has been researched for many a year. Because this project was looking at inequalities in work and employment, here we decided to use an occupational classification, and that's based on, on people's current jobs. And the classification we used is called the National Statistics Socioeconomic Classification, often known as just NSSEC. And that's useful for us because it built on theoretical work of leading sociologists of class in the UK, and it's now used in UK official statistics. So what the NSSEC allowed us to do was group together into working class, those people who were employed in semi-routine jobs and routine jobs as, as working class, and compare those workers with people in other class groups, for example, comparing the working class workers with people in management and professional jobs. 
Semi-routine work includes care work hours, retail assistance, hospital port hours. Routine work includes cleaners, waiting staff, bus drivers, bar staff, people who were really impacted by the pandemic. And you compared working class women to men and other women. Tell us what you found. Working class women had the worst of both worlds, if you like, in that they they fared worse than middle class women in paid work, but they also fared worse than working class men in unpaid work in the home. So, for example, working class women were often working in customer or client facing roles during COVID. So in caring roles, in educational settings. And of course, that brings with it a risk to their own health and and the health of their families. And then there's this other group of working class women and also working class men who were on furlough and worried about the longer term impact of um, redundancy, potential job loss and and a sort of corresponding reduction in, in their incomes, their family incomes. And we also found that middle class women and men were more likely to be offered and also to take up what we call quality flexible working arrangements. But working class women and men didn't have the same access to those arrangements. And sort of most importantly, I suppose, during COVID, they were much less likely to be able to work from home which allowed them a bit of flexibility in their work, especially while homeschooling, caring for other relatives, friends, neighbours, etc. And also women in general were also more likely after COVID began than before it began to take on most of the housework. So increasing those existing pressures and existing levels of psychological distress. And you found something around furlough as well, didn't you? That the, the likelihood of being furloughed. Yeah, um, working class women and men were more likely to be furloughed than middle class women and men. And, you know, so we looked at things like doing no hours of work in your paid job. So that sort of corresponded, not completely, but corresponded to those people who were on furlough. And it also varied by um, occupational sector as well. And we did find some differences in the kind of work that was being done in the home around men who were on furlough, but not dramatic differences, if you like. So if you had to summarise why working class women fared the worst when it came to paid work during COVID-19, what would be the main points you'd make? Well, I think what we'd first do is go back to what we already know about working class women's working lives, because we already know that these women have a a long history of having a more marginal job roles than middle class women, for example, and men. We see that women have that long history of lower quality jobs. We know that they've been over concentrated in part time jobs where they're very paid poorly. They have little flexibility in and autonomy over how and where they work. And they have far fewer opportunities for career progression. And we would say one of our main points is this is a combination of the gender and class disadvantages that these women face. They report more financial hardship, they build up weaker pensions in their own working lives, and their lower incomes aren't likely to be cushioned by a higher earning household. So our previous research and the research of the Women's Budget Group shows that working class women have fed poorly in the paid work, you know, in, in previous periods of economic crisis. And as Claire said, um, the COVID pressures added to these existing challenges they faced, though with those two strands. So you've got those working class women in the front facing roles with new increasing work pressures and new increasing health risks versus those women newly on furlough and worrying about job loss. So we have this kind of, you know, existing um, disadvantage the women faced and then the COVID and put extra pressures on, on those two groups of women. 
Tracy and I have obviously done research in the past on the division of domestic labour is one of our big interests. And while women continue to bear the brunt of housework and childcare, they can't really operate on the same footing as men in the workplace. And there are also those sort of continuing gender biases within many workplaces, for example, things like work-life balance policies and flexible working arrangements being seen as women's issues. So men are less likely to take them up. So there was a chance as I said right at the beginning, that the pandemic might stir things up and bring about greater equality in the home, um, which in effect would bring, hopefully bring about greater equality in the paid workplace. So we, we know that many men were suddenly finding themselves working from home, mostly those in managerial and professional roles, it has to be said. And there did seem to be an increase in, in the sharing of housework by middle-class men. And a lot's been written by, about this in the media, about you know men doing more during the pandemic and there was a lot of optimism about longer term change. Unfortunately, our data showed that overall the gender differences remained pretty stubborn. In fact, women seem to be doing relatively more domestic work than before the pandemic even hit. Of course, there were those additional domestic responsibilities during the pandemic, things like homeschooling, which is a new phenomenon. We hadn't had this before. And also more housework and care for other relatives and neighbours and friends, especially during those sort of really heavy lockdown periods. So added to that, those families who traditionally been able to buy in help, like mostly the middle class families, were now having to find a way of doing it themselves and at least in the short term. So what we found was that middle class women were more likely to adjust their work schedules and reduce their hours than either middle class men or working class women and men to cope with childcare. But this really sort of highlights the greater inflexibility of working class jobs overall and the lack of access to quality, flexible working arrangements, which allows couples to, to manage their unpaid work. As I said in, in the earlier question, there was some evidence of more help from those men who were on furlough with domestic work, but interestingly, not with homeschooling. We found that was taken up mostly by women. You also looked at levels of psychological distress. What did you see there? Yeah, we, we used the GHQ, that's the, the General Health Questionnaire, and that's a, a series of 12 questions which are used quite commonly in research on well-being and distress. So, so that includes questions like, are you able to concentrate? Are you able to sleep? Are you under strain? Are you feeling unhappy? That kind of thing. And, and just to note that we also used a conservative cutoff point for levels of psychological distress in this project. So actually more women could be suffering from distress than we've actually recorded. And what we showed was that women overall recorded much higher levels of psychological distress than men, and that this rose and fell according to periods of lockdown and opening up again. Working class women recorded the highest levels of all women in November 2020, but that fell again slightly in January 2021. And um, we also looked at life satisfaction and we found that men had traditionally recorded lower levels than women, but during the pandemic and especially over that horrible winter of 2020 to 21, women's levels decreased and were actually even lower than men's. They rose again a bit in March 2021. And in terms of class differences in this, middle class women and men were similar in their levels of life satisfaction, but working class women recorded much lower levels than working class men. So I think interestingly, the impact of the pandemic went beyond 
the financial impacts and it'll be really interesting to see what happens to well-being and life satisfaction over a longer period. So yes, you mentioned the long-term effects there. What would you say they are going to be? I know at the moment it's impossible to say for definite, but what would you say about the long-term effects? These negative effects of the pandemic on working class women's working lives are adding to you know, well over a decade now of austerity and recession that have put intense pressures on these women. And as individuals, we've shown that working class women, as Claire just mentioned, have, have suffered psychological distress, they've suffered low well-being, as well as that real financial hit. All of this is going to have longer term outcomes. We think those outcomes are important for the women themselves, of course, but also we've got to think about the ramifications for their families, as well as those hard hit working class communities. And longer term, we know the impact of class differences are going to be exacerbated if there's weak government support for the hardest hit. And, you know, we're talking at a really very scary time when this podcast is being recorded. The furlough scheme has just ended. There's huge worries over the ending of the £20 uplift to universal credit to. So we've got some real concerns about longer term ramifications, negative ramifications. I guess if we think about some of the potential positives longer term, well, first, we might want to think about, you know, the so-called new world of work we're hearing everywhere about greater flexibility for workers and how and where they work. We've seen that flexibility was really for middle class workers with the pandemic and, and before the pandemic. And really, the kind of new world of work is unlikely to help working class workers unless employers really begin to think outside that box about what flexible working arrangements are, what good quality flexible working arrangements can look like, and who is allowed to access them. There was also optimism that there'd be some recognition around um, gender inequalities. We haven't seen much evidence of greater gender equality through the pandemic, and if women and working class women continue to retain that major responsibility for housework, for domestic work, for child and other caring, then we know their career choices are going to be limited. And we also thought there'd be some optimism that there'd be real recognition of the crucial work that working class women have been doing during these pandemic times. But in the current climate in the UK, we're kind of not optimistic that we're really battling the effect of decades and even centuries of undervaluing these women's key skills. And so, Marianne, to bring you in, what would you say are the long term effects of where working class women have found themselves in this pandemic and also the history here? How did we end up in a society where working class women were going to end up taking the load in this way? I mean, I think, as Tracy said, it's it's difficult to predict exactly where we're going to end up as a result of this. You know, we are um, at a at a worrying time with the furlough scheme ending and the twenty pound reduction in universal credit, and we know that that's going to hit women harder. Um, we're also seeing worrying ideas from the government around care. So, for example, the proposal that's been obviously leaked um, about reducing ratios in childcare, which is aimed at you know reducing the cost of childcare to parents, but will actually have a massively detrimental effect on the quality of care that um, children, particularly children from poorer households receive, because obviously richer parents can afford to pay more for care to get better ratios than the the legal minimum. And that's going to have, you know, that's going to have a knock on effect on outcomes for those, those people who are children now over their lifetimes, because we know good quality childcare lowers attainment gaps. So it's difficult to tell because we're also seeing, you know, the impact of Brexit at the same time. We're seeing shortages in some jobs um, as Eastern European migrants leave the UK or 
those who leave aren't replaced by new people coming in. Um, and that has led to shortages for employers um, and you know an increased number of vacancies. We don't know how that will play out in the long term because we don't know what impact that will have on those businesses and whether they will in fact survive the short term problems with, with recruiting people. So it's it's a bit of a worrying time. I think I think the real anxiety is also that the government doesn't seem to be taking into account the gendered and class impacts of COVID in its plans to build back better. So we very much got this focus on construction, for example, as a way of creating jobs rather than looking at other sectors, for example, the care sector. And why we're in this situation, I think, is is to do with long-term structural inequalities within the UK economy to do with the division of unpaid care work, where women are still seen as largely responsible for unpaid care. um, And better off women can buy their way out of that situation by affording to pay for care um, in a way that working class women can't, which means that you've got large numbers of working class women, as as Tracy and Claire said, working part-time hours, because that's all they can afford because of the cost of childcare, which has a long-term impact on their earnings. Um, There's a lot of focus on the gender pay gap. There's less focus on the gender earnings gap, which is about 43%. Um, It's significantly bigger than the pay gap. But we also see that the skills involved in that sort of unpaid care, when they are used in paid jobs, aren't recognised. Because unpaid care is seen as something that women do for nothing, for free within the home. When they do it outside the home, it's not recognised as a skilled job. So care work or any job that involves relationships with other people, um, customer facing roles are often seen as low skilled when they're not. They're just low paid. Um, And so if we want to to close those gaps, we need to recognise the skills involved in those jobs. And when you spoke at the People's Covid inquiry, you made the point that the welfare state and the NHS came about after the Second World War when the UK economy was on its knees. Do you see a similar opportunity for change here? I hope so. I mean, it's a matter of political will, isn't it? None of these things are inevitable. Um, So it's not inevitable that the situation will get worse for people. Um, it really depends on whether or not the government is willing to take action and do something. And that's why I was drawing the analogy with the, the foundation of the welfare state after the Second World War, because, the you know, the UK came out of the Second World War with a really damaged economy, you know, damaged infrastructure, having suffered from bombing, huge levels of inequality, huge levels of debt. And we decided at that point to create the welfare state, which had a massive impact on narrowing inequalities. We created the NHS, which had a massive impact on narrowing health inequalities. And the government could choose at this point to take similar action. And particularly because we're not just dealing with the aftermath of COVID or the ongoing effects of COVID, we're also facing a climate emergency. You know, we need to take urgent action to change the way we organise the economy and society if we're going to prevent really devastating impacts of global warming. And my concern is that the government's response lacks the scale of ambition that we need to deal with these challenges. So to stay with 
looking ahead to the future. The project uh, report made several recommendations. Marianne, do you want to talk us through what those recommendations specifically were? We've got recommendations that are about, you know, investing in care, investing in the sorts of jobs that women are more likely to work in, um, which would not only close the care gap, but would also create more jobs for women. Um, We need to invest in training and education to enable people to to get into back into work or into different types of jobs. Um, We need to take action to close the gap in unpaid care responsibilities. Um, Professor Diane Elson, our former chair, talks about not only recognising the, the, the significance of unpaid care, but also redistributing and reducing the amount of unpaid care. So that's about men doing more. And we can do that through different leave policies, for example, when children are born, which can encourage men to be more involved in the early months of a child's life, which has a knock-on effect throughout that child's life, but also um, reducing the amount of unpaid care through greater investment in childcare and social care. But we also need to take action to deal with the immediate impacts now. So in the first instance, not taking £20 off universal credit, but in the longer term, actually having a social security system that acts as a genuine safety net. You know, COVID is a big crisis that we're all facing, but there's all sorts of crises, you know, business can fold, somebody can have a period of ill health and so on. And we need a social security system that actually ensures that people aren't pushed into poverty when that happens. How does the Women's Budget Group plan to take these recommendations forward? What do we do next? Well, what we've been doing is um, taking the research that that Claire and Tracy and the rest of the team did and trying to promote that to parliamentarians in particular. So um, giving evidence to um, select committees, to all party parliamentary groups. Um, We're actually speaking to the um, APPG on poverty and we'll be talking about some of the findings of this research there as well as as other research on, on the causes and consequences of women's poverty. We're trying to push the Women in Equality Select Committee has raised many of the issues um, from this research in their reports and trying to push them to do more, but also um, speaking to ministers and officials to try and get them to realise that they really need to take action. You know, the, the response to COVID was not sufficiently gendered and the plans for building back post-COVID really need to be. And just to add that, you know, without direct policy change, there is a chance that we'll just revert to business as usual once the pandemic plays out. You know, we really need to be able to support these women, these particular working class women in the vital work that they do. Otherwise, that work's just going to have to be shouldered by others. So it really needs support and it really needs policy change. And with the help of the Women's Budget Group, we really hope this research is going to make a difference. You can read Carrying the Work Burden of the COVID-19 Pandemic, Working Class Women in the UK via the publication section of the Understanding Society website. My thanks to Professors Tracy Warren and Claire Lyonette and to Dr Mary Ann Stevenson of the Women's Budget Group. Thank you for listening. Please join us for episode two in the series where we look at universal credit, the winners, the losers and the effects of COVID-19.